Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So uh, this episode was recommended by Sloth Bear on our Discord server. Um, and the topic we're going to be going over today is what limited formats can teach us about Commander card evaluation, uh, how limited synergies provide a glimpse into build-arounds, and how to avoid the understandings of 1v1 formats when evaluating for multiplayer. Um, so thank you, Sloth Bear, for suggesting this. Um, but before we dive into it any further, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commandertheory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Uh, Zach, let's jump into this topic. Um, what do you think about the the value of limited when building for commander? Yeah, I think one of the things about magic that is like the coolest is that it's it's all one game and that can mean a bunch of different things, but it's also like you should be thinking about things in similar ways. <laughs> like there's a lot of uh and we talk about it where following like a deck construction template isn't always going to yield you the best results or um, looking at general card evaluation, like techniques, like heuristics and things are, isn't going to like lead you to the best results. And that's kind of true in magic in general. There's kind of just things that you have to keep in mind. But when you do that, because it is one game, you can kind of take lessons from like one area that you might not have thought is the same, like a 40 card, draft whatever you can grab format like what could that possibly have in common with a hundred card singleton constructed format spanning all of the history of magic over 30 years um but i think there's a lot i've actually thought about commander in this way for a long time um and i wanted to kind of i wanted to talk about it a little bit um kind of based off of the sloth bear recommendation but I think it's just kind of handy to keep in mind. So we're going to go over like a few key areas where I think limited and commander are like really similar. Um, and yeah, I hope you uh, you can chime in with things that you think of too. Because of course, yeah, I I don't play as much limited as Zach does, but um, you know, I have learned a little bit and applied that to commander at certain points. So I'll definitely uh, throw in some of my experiences as well. Yeah, and I think this is going to sound pretty familiar to people who've been listening to the podcast for like a long time. Um, in particular, this first point, we actually did an episode with Jason Belk, friend of the show uh, and collaborator, um, who had a kind of deck building episode with us a little while ago. Um, this first category that I'm just going to jump right into is is basically have a plan. So I'm going to try and talk as little about limited as possible to make this episode happen because this is a commander podcast. But one of the things about limited and about draft in particular is that you have to go in with a plan. And that isn't I'm going to force blue black every time necessarily, although for some people that that is what they do. But it's uh, if I am doing X what is uh, Y and Z going to look like? So as an example, because we just had the, the Lord of the Rings set, if I go in and I know that like black is an incredibly powerful color in the Lord of the Rings limited format, what does that mean for the rest of my 
draft? What should I do? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the reason why I think this is really true for Commander is that even though you can take a Commander and you can fill it with the best possible card, you can go to Trek, take the best possible cards in your color ID, your favorite cards in your color ID, throw them together, and the deck is going to work and and whatever. The Having a statement like, this deck wants to make my Commander a 10-10 and then attack my opponents while casting as many instants and sorceries as possible is very, very important, um, not just for deck construction, but also how you play. Um, if you are playing, um, what is it, Gandalf uh, White Rider? Is that is that the one? Rider in mm-hmm. White. Um, you don't want to play that deck like a control deck. Um, this is the one where you cast, every time you cast a spell, your creatures get plus one, plus zero, oh, and you scry one. This is an aggro deck. It's a huge buff for your whole team when you're playing it appropriately. But if you're sitting back and trying to cast instants when you have instants and, you know, like do high interaction and just leave your creatures back as blockers, you're not going to win very much. That's not following what the deck plan was. Um, and similarly, when you're building the deck, if your entire deck is full of fumigates and farewells and things like that, you're also probably not going to win that much because you're you're not keeping track of what the plan is the plan is to attack them cast a bunch of spells and attack them so this is kind of one of the biggest categories like overarching categories that's the like most similar for limited and this is how i I think about commanders this is how i think about when i'm drafting it's really having a plan of what i'm going to do like if i take a green card first what am i going to look for to make it work like what uncommons make it work and or if i'm playing a green commander what are the cards that work best for it? Is this a commander where my, like a Galta, where I want as many um, like Rishkar's expertise effects as possible? Or am I playing like a Tana the Bloodsower, where I want to uh, have draw equal to like the number of creatures I control? Something like that is, is really important to keep in mind. Um, so I don't know if you'd want to chime in before we keep on going. Uh, I think we can keep on going. I'm excited to talk about this this next part where we just sort of go into some examples of our decks and the plans and how that really informs our card choices. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, this is the example portion. So I like building decks that give me little mini games to play. Uh, that's usually what my plan is, and that'll inform the card choices. It'll inform how I play it. Um, a very recent example for me is Magar of the Magic Strings, um, which is the three mana three three Minotaur from uh, Unfinity. But he's real; <laughs> he's not an Acorn <laughs> card. You can actually play him. Um, it's a colorless black red for the three three, and he has colorless black red. Uh, note the name of an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard, and then put it onto the battlefield face down. It's a 3-3 creature with whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, you may create a copy of the spell without paying its mana cost. Or you may cast a copy of the spell without paying its mana cost. And if this creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. So you make these kind of like spell morphs that cast themselves when they hit, kind of like a bunch of funny saboteurs that are 3-3s. And this deck in particular uh, took me... A little bit of trial and error because the plan was to loot big spells away and then cast kill spells so Magar can morphify them uh, to hit your opponent over and over and over again. Um, 
and I had to kind of test out what I was doing with that. So like, how do I like, how many loot spells is too many? Uh, are the loot spells worth it? If uh, I have to discard a card when I cast them, like when I on hit, um, how many kill spells is too many? Or is any amount of kill spells too many in this deck? Uh, that kind of stuff. But the plan of cast kill spells to sneak in big spells was uh, kind of the goal the whole time and kind of the, the pathway to making the deck work. And now I think the deck's in a pretty fun spot. Um, we'll have links to decks that we talk about today in the uh, episode description. Um, it's definitely not a CDH deck, <laughs> but it is fun for like a casual table. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about anything that you've uh, you built recently? Sure. Um, so relatively recently, um, I put together a Zuri Stalker of Spheres. Um, that was in All Will Be One. Um, so this is a blue-green proliferate deck. And what was clear to me early on is that it's a slow deck that takes a, a long time to dirtle and build up resources and take up all the dice on things. And so this is not the kind of deck that can like a uh like force an aggressive start um and it also doesn't have like a ton of room for interaction because it's spending so many deck slots on just like proliferation engines and things to proliferate um it has a little bit of interaction but it's not like going to be hard control so Early on, it was clear to me I needed to find ways to um, to control the board that would also like align with the proliferate theme and um, also give m- me like the most bang for my buck in terms of like deck slots. So um, Spike Weaver was a card that I-, I gravitated to really early because it allows me to turn my proliferation into fog, which keeps me alive um, much. I mean provided my opponents don't have removal, but it keeps me alive um, without having me, without forcing me to like devote a whole bunch of card slots to like really keeping my opponents at bay. It's just like this one thing will take care of me forever, provided it survives. Um, and then with that kind of plan, uh, I, I want to like limit the number of slots in my deck that are devoted to win conditions because it's kind of like usually when I'm winning the when I win the game is like I choose to do it because I feel like I have a commanding board presence. I've got tons of cards in hand. I've got tons of mana, um, and I want something that can just quickly get me from zero to a hundred um, without being like really obtrusive or requiring a lot of work beforehand. Uh, so like poison counters worked really well for that. Um, there's a couple of poison counter cards in all be one that can that like do something kind of generically useful. Like, Oh, this one's a cantrip or this one makes something fight. Um, but just get a poison counter on your opponents and you can do that at any point in the game. And then later when you've got your proliferation and engines online, you can try to win all at once in a quick burst. Um, so I, I think that like those are the kinds of considerations that sort of informed my card choices when I was building that deck. Yeah, and I this is a, a great one to talk about. So everyone the 
bookmark this commander Azuri. <laughs> I want to talk about that a little bit later too. So another deck that I this is gonna this is a really gimmicky one was uh Amareth. I think it's just Amareth the Lustrous. I always just call her Amareth or my sweet dragon. Um <laughs> but uh it is Amareth the Lustrous. So this is everyone's favorite commander from Commander Legends. Uh, this is the 6-6 six, six flying dragon for 6 mana, 3 green, white, blue. That says, whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, look at the top card of your library. If it shares a card type with that permanent, you may reveal that card and put it into your hand. So, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm joking when I say that. This is a very silly card, um, but I was really into this as... Um, as like a gimmick deck, I was trying to figure out what was the best thing to do. I have a ton of creature decks. I have a ton of artifact decks. Um, I didn't want to make a Planeswalker, Planeswalker deck, um, but someone in our Discord had suggested enchantments, and that seemed really fun. So I just set out to make a deck where uh, the plan is every card has to be an enchantment, and then you kill your opponent with your 6-6 flyer as they struggle to control your board. Um, so one of the things I've noted with Enchantress decks in general is especially green ones tend to run the exact same cards every single time you run all of your Enchantresses, you run, um, you know, ramp, you run your card draw in, uh, other forms, your, your, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, why can't I think of? Like Sylvan uh, Library or uh, yes, Guile? yes. Thank you, Sylvan Library. I was thinking of Sylvan Library. Um, Mirrors Gale is a good one too, but you just you're running removal. You're running your Song of the Dryads. You know whatever that might be. Detention Spheres, Dark Seal Mutations, um, and you just kind of are doing that. And those decks are really strong right now. So I wanted something where it was like. Enchantress, but a little bit easier to interact with, and I got to play cards that you don't normally always see in in a commander game. Obviously, that isn't always true. If you're doing a theme, there are still cards that fit the theme. Uh, for instance, uh, Sithis is the uh, two mana two two. The Sithis Harvest Hand is the Enchantress from Modern Horizons Two, where you gain a life and draw a card when an enchantment enters the battlefield, or you cast an enchantment spell. Sorry. So when you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life, draw a card, and she is a legendary enchantment creature. Um, so fit the deck pretty well. But this ended up working uh, so well that there are some people in our playgroup that started calling the deck unfair, <laughs> which is really funny to me because it's a 6-6 commander with flying and no protection and there's not really... It's, I'm not putting like Voltron on it. I'm just casting like a Nailia's Colossus. <laughs> I want to make it clear for the record that I was not one of the people calling No, it no, no, no. Absolutely not. Nick Nick has good card evaluation, so was not uh, one of these people. But there are a few people that got very upset that uh, I killed them with a 6-6 Flying Dragon, uh, perhaps with the Finest Hour or something like that. Um, the enchantment, banned enchantment, it gives Exalted, and whenever a creature you control attacks alone for the first combat, you get an additional one. Um, that kills people <laughs> when your commander is a big dragon sometimes. So it was funny. It's it's a fun deck. Um, it's fun to see all of these types of cards, and it's fun when you're going off. Um, literally every card is an enchantment or 
a land. So I had to find ways to interact on the stack. Some of that is like Vernal Equinox, which makes uh, creatures and enchantments have flash, but like for everyone. And some of it is like the channel enchantments from uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. So in particular, like Touch the Spirit Realm and the uh, the Turtle, Colossal Sky Turtle. Um, those will get people, <laughs> which is really funny. But it's it's like a silly deck and it, it ended up working out really well and keeping onto the theme, having the plan of not just like building the deck, but how to play it and like knowing how I'm going to kill people is a very big part of the way that this deck works. Um, so yeah, do you want to get to another one that you have a, a plan for? Sure. Uh, another deck, uh, I've had it for a while um, and lately it's gotten a lot of love, um, is Felden of the Third Path. Felden has gotten a lot of love. <laughs> Yeah, Felden of the Third Path um, is basically mono-red reanimator. So my plan is to get huge guys into my graveyard, mostly through rummaging spells, uh, and then use Felden to get one back every turn. So that's like the core game plan. And so, of course, I'm running like a critical mass of rummaging spells. I'm running like huge numbers of just big fatties. Um, And then there's also like a sub-theme of just like getting the most value out of that artifact token, whether that's keeping it around using Sundial the Infinite or like converting it into another resource with like a Goblin Welder or like an Audacious Reshaper as a Reality Scramble. So those, I understand that like those polymorph effects are kind of um, nice to haves and those are the kind of things like if I ever needed to cut like in order to make the deck more consistent in some other way, uh, that would be the place I cut. Cause I, I know that like what really matters is just like having targets for Felden's ability. That's like the core mm-hmm. gameplay. Yeah. I love Felden so much. He's so cool. It's really fun to watch you play that deck too. And like see the upgrades and whenever we have played to be like, Oh, you got that. <laughs> Like that's been pretty fun. Um, so mostly, so one of the reasons we're talking about these decks is uh, because they're going to come up in the next sections too. Um, so I want to, uh, I'll talk about one more deck that I think probably my biggest success uh, that I've ever had <laughs> as a deck. It, it was a little too good for casual tables, which is very silly to me. Um, but it was Mina and Den discard. So. This is a deck I've posted a few different versions of the list that I had over time. Um, Mina and Den are the four mana, four, four uh, elf ally from the uh, Call the Gatewatch set. Um, they say you may play an additional land on each of your turns. Uh, they have red, green, uh, bounce a land you control to its owner's hand. Target creature gains trample until end of turn. So more or less, this deck is usually like a landfall list. Um, but I was kind of noting that it helps you ramp and what I was really looking at was that we were getting this like really high concentration of red looting effects. We just gotten cathartic reunion at the time to date, date the deck. I think this was like, uh, 2016, uh, when I built the first version of it. Um, and, uh, I had like a firestorm, which is red instant choose and discard X cards, deal X damage to X target creatures and or players. Um, it was just like sitting in my collection. I've always wanted to play it. Um, it, it a bunch of wheels, et cetera, et cetera. And 
I was trying to think of how to play them in the most fun way to play them. Um, and what I thought about was especially these cathartic reunion effects where you have to pitch a card to draw cards was what if I, uh, in the early game, I'm pitching big things. You're Berberigmos enraged and you're, uh, you're Omnath locust of rages and whatnot to get lands to put into play with Mina and Den. And then late game, I use Mina and Den to bounce those lands to pitch to those same spells. Um, and then when I need to reset everything, well, I probably discarded like a Runehorn Hellkite, which has uh, in the graveyard, you can pay six and exile it to have each player discard their hand and draw seven. Uh, on top of other things so this deck was a resounding success i have killed so many people with fateful showdown um four mana instant uh pitch your hand uh deal that much damage to any target and then draw that many cards (laughs) um or firestorm uh the one i mentioned earlier it just is crazy how many cards you can have in hand in green (laughs) these days uh with a green deck when you're kind of pairing it with these cards where you like cycle your hand like that and then over time the deck got better i got a brawlin sky shark raider uh one of my favorite cards ever in glinthorn buccaneer um so yeah this kind of what ended up happening it's evolved over the years but it worked resoundingly well and it came from this really really um simple premise um if play a bunch of lands real quick and then bounce all your lands to draw cards. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the best plans that I ever had. I do want to talk about one more before we keep on moving. Sure. Um, the last deck, uh, I want to talk about is one I've mentioned many times on the show. It's my Adeline resplendent Cathar deck. And I think this one emphasizes, um, just the, um, that curve does matter in commander and like, getting the right things in the right sequence matters and you should build your deck with that in mind. Um, it's not something just for limited. So in, in Adeline, the goal of the deck is to play a two drop on turn two or even a one drop on turn one, but just you need to get a creature down in the first two turns of the game. Then you need to play Adeline on turn three, attack with whatever you played in the early turns, uh, and then play some kind of Anthem on turn four. So like, that start if you are able to pull it off is really explosive and it gets your opponent's life totals uh pretty low pretty quickly um the but in order to make it work you really have to do some work with the hypergeometric calculator you have to um just think about like well this card doesn't fit into that game plan so it i just have to cut it it doesn't matter that it's good so like for example knight of the white orchid in order for it to do its thing, like uh, you're, it's probably not going to like get you a land if you cast it on turn two. You kind of have to cast it on like turn three or later, um, so that you can like intentionally not play your land for the turn and then get it down and get your your ramp on. But knowing that it's not good on turn two, it's just like, well, okay, then I don't want it in my Adeline deck because it's. I give up most of the value of the card if I want to curve use it to curve out. And I'd much rather play something that just always works, especially that like works when my plan is going right. So like a spirited companion, um yeah, you know, it it 
like getting drawing a card versus ramping probably not quite as good um but just like it it's good even went like to play on turn two unlike knight of the white orchid and also knight of the white orchid is not especially good in a deck like adeline either where the first you know four turns of the game are the crucial ones i'm not really ramping into anything after that so (laughs) so like just be aware what your deck is trying to do and then um be willing to challenge the your normal heuristics of like oh this is a good white card i should put it in my white deck yeah, this is one of the ones where when you do actually execute on your plan, it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the games that you go like one drop, two drop Adeline or like just if you're unlucky, one drop, one drop, one drop Adeline. <laughs> those are like terrifying because Adeline's going to be huge. You basically just have to have something to deal with it. Otherwise, you're going to run away with the game at that point. Um it's really cool. Adeline is, I, I don't know, we've talked about her a lot on the show, but it's she's very good. <laughs> um, so why mention all these decks now? So we got we got some decks with plans, but um, the next section is, is another kind of general theme about Limited and Commander. It's cards serve a role. So when you're building a deck in Limited, you have to be conscious of what each card choice you're making adds to your deck. Uh, does the format need you to get on board really fast? Um, say like a Brothers War, which was a pr- fairly recent one. A very aggressive format. You had to get on board turn one, two, or three. And luckily the one, two, and three drops are decent. Um, is removal worse in the format? Uh, maybe because of tokens, like there's a, a bunch of things littering the board. Or are cards just bad in general? There's a lot of like four mana two twos and things like that. So you need your synergies to make things good. Um, there's a bunch of things to consider when you're building a draft deck like that, where uh, as you're picking cards and as you're putting your deck together, you have to be conscious to make sure that everything actually functions together. And that should sound very familiar uh, in Commander. You should be asking yourself the same questions. You should be asking, uh, what is my plan? What type of removal do I need to use? So like Nick was talking about just now. What synergizes with my plan? So these these selfless spirits and whatnot, and Adeline and things like that. Um, should I run ramp? This is a big one. Like I think it's just been a given for the last I don't know decade that every deck needs ramp in Commander. And I mean, every deck is or most decks are going to run Soul Ring or Birds of Paradise or something like that. But I I really have been looking at my decks differently these days and thinking about my curve the considerations on on how many lands to play versus how many rocks to play um are are two mana rocks fine in this deck or do they just get in the way of the plan so like your adeline deck again or um to talk about uh amareth like the cards that generate two mana in amareth are a lot more important than like the uh fertile growths that are like two mana a land taps for an extra mana because going from four mana tapping for six mana means i can cast my commander the next turn so stuff like that keeping that kind of uh thing in mind of like what role is this card serving is is very 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 important um so i don't know if you want to chime in with some other examples or if you want to keep moving I, I have one more example i could do but i want to 
see how you're uh, doing. Let's hear it. Give me that example. Yeah. So the last one is interchangeable cards. So um, this is an example of a deck I, I did not talk about yet, but this is the Streffen Mauer Progenitor deck that came out that uh, I was really impressed how fun it was and not because it's a vampire deck. But Streffen has a lot of cards that deal one to all players to make sure that I get the maximum amount of blood at the end of each turn. Streffen's a 3-2 flyer for four that says at the beginning of your end step, you make a blood token for each player who's lost a life this turn. Kind of what ends up happening is that it doesn't end up mattering because like I, I was putting a bunch of card draw in the deck and other things. I realized that, and ramp in particular too. And I just realized that the games where I had these cards were like too chunky and taking up too much space. Um, and Nick actually, in his ver- first version of the deck, uh, had recognized this and basically was like, oh, if I don't need something, I'll loot it away, which is pretty much exactly where I ended up too. You end up with so much blood that you just kind of want something that starts the blood flowing. <laughs> um, and things that interact with... Uh, with artifacts as that's happening ended up being very good or things that interacted with uh rummaging ended up being very good the uh art fiend of if near the demon it's a five four flyer for five from amonkhet says whenever you uh discard a card or cycle a card you may put a minus one minus one counter on each uh creature and opponent controls and a high cycling too that ends up being very, very good in this deck because as you're looting naturally to try and find things, you'll end up finding your Archfiend. If you don't need it, you can loot it away with blood or cycle it to itself. Um, so everything kind of focused on this theme of like get something to ping everything and just churn through your deck as much as possible till you find the pieces that you need. Um, so that ended up working very well. Um, it was really, really all about taking into account like what are these cards doing and like what slots are they going to take up um and figuring out what roles i needed to fill in the deck and what role my commander took up in the deck um and then the deck started working great it was it was clunky for a bit and now we're good <laughs> um so yeah so that i don't know if there's anything you want to add you you've also played that deck i don't know if there's anything you noticed about it too um just like the value of having like that kind of card filtering going on, it's made me, I think it was like around that time that I really started got, getting into the rummaging spells. So just having like infinite rummaging in the command zone um, just made me evaluate cards differently. Um, not too much else to say. I'm happy to move on to the next section though. Yeah. And that that is a thing. So one of the, it wasn't just draw spells in particular I was using. It was um the impulse draw. Impulse draw ended up being very, very bad with this deck. Um obviously. So you can't loot it. Um so yeah, something to keep in mind. So the next section is one that I think a lot of commander players refuse to acknowledge, but is something a lot of limited players will basically uh Acknowledge begrudgingly. And this is that some matchups are just bad. So commander decks, like any format, have like a ton of archetypes. Uh, ideally, in a limited format, you're going to have at least 10 archetypes. You know, one for each two-color pair. Uh, maybe some other ones, maybe a few more, maybe a few less. Um, maybe multicolor takes up a few of those slots because they're all based in like blue-green or something like that. But there's a bunch of different uh, archetypes. And commander, obviously... Uh, in an ideal world, in the world that me and uh, Nick try to 
advocate for, like every archetype has a deck, you know, there, there's infinite ways to play this game. Um, so let's say you, you start there, you pick a plan, you pick cards appropriately, you, uh, you sit down to play with some people and all of a sudden things don't, they're not looking good. You're just, they're not going your way. They played the rest in peace against your reanimator deck. Well, oops, like in limited, this will just happen a lot. You're playing a control deck. They're playing the uh, one drop, two drop, three drop Boros aggro and get you before you can stabilize, you know, that oops, that matchup's bad for me. Um, but in commander, if you draft like, or, uh, and commander it's it's not uh as accepted <laughs> that this will happen but it is something that happens if you've ever sitting down at a commander league um this is i think where people get the most upset before thinking about it where if i sit down with an archetype that's easily interruptible like let's say uh artifacts or like i said the graveyard deck so um my magar deck magar of the magic strings or Nick's uh, Felden of the Third Path list. Like, a bunch of graveyard hate is going to make that deck not work. And there's nothing that either Nick nor I could have done to stop them from eating our graveyard a bunch of times. You know, we didn't make any bad decisions. It's just that the archetype, like, matched up poorly to whatever that person was doing. Um, And this is something that I think... uh I've got a really... uh... I've got a really bad counterpick story from a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So, um this wasn't an actual counterpick, like, you know, it was just I wanted to play my Felden deck and my opponent wanted to play his uh Captain Ingathrod deck, the Mill Horror um like Mind Flayer from Baldur's Gate. Oh yeah. But it was it I like nearly killed myself by playing just like turn to mesmeric orb because that's normally like a great play in felden you really want to it just like passively gets you more and more targets into your graveyard for felden to get back um but it really contributed to my opponent's game plan and his thing was like you know i'm playing sepulchral primordial i'm playing rise of the dark realms i'm really trying to play out of my opponent's graveyards as much as possible and it got to the point where I had like 10 cards left in my library because like my mesmeric orb and, and his mill were just eating so much away. Um, and I, I started asking my other opponents like, hey, do you think you could uh, kill my mesmeric orb to save me <laughs> so I can try to beat <laughs> down for the win? Um, so there's even when the matchup is bad, like you need to reevaluate how you're going to play your deck because realistically like if if i was maybe thinking more clearly maybe i just don't play mesmeric orb on turn two count on my opponent to mill me and just like have kind of a higher quote-unquote like life total in my library um so and also like if i think that eventually they are going to my opponent is going to be stealing things out of my graveyard i just don't want to provide them with free targets because like yeah, it's nice for me to get back one thing per turn with Felden, but if my opponent can get back everything, then like really I only need one target. Um and so mm. I don't need to be adding a whole bunch more over time because that just increases my liability to mass reanimation. Mm. Yeah, and this is exactly uh 
you can you can make a comparison to limited games like this. Like you you are you are playing the slow control deck and you're paired up against the aggro deck. Well, you're gonna have to make plays that you normally wouldn't make. Uh, play the two drop that gets you back a spell from your graveyard to hand without a spell. You know, just so that you can block things like that. You're gonna have to figure out like what the game plan is to make sure that you can play appropriately. But I really I like that story. That's that's a really good example. So. This last one is actually my my last point that I I wanted to make this episode and it's um kind of a general theme of commander and something that I look at when new sets come out and there's kind of been some chatter in the discord about this in general um about how they they said they were cutting back on the number of legends in the sets coming forward and I actually don't I, it remains to be seen if I like that if they're all bangers that's fine but I like having like 20 something legends in a set when like 10 of them hit because when they only had five to 10 legends in a set and four of them hit that sucked. <laughs> it was like, okay, we get a lot less stuff per year. Um, yeah. I remember back in the day, um, you know, we were asking on the show, like, wow, it would really be nice if we could get uh, like a commander for at least like every major mechanical theme in mm-hmm. the set. And for a while, they've been doing that. They they just put so many legends in the set, and a lot of them are like, they're a lot of the time they're like using uncommon draft, uh, like pointers, the the multicolor uncommons, mm-hmm. uh, as legendary creatures, just to ensure that you're going to, if you really enjoy this limited theme, you're going to have an option to build around it in commander. And I have loved that they've done that lately, and so. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm also a little bit concerned about them saying they want to pull back on that. Um, I don't know who really gets hurt by having more options for commanders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's really kind of where I'm at with it too. So in in general, limited archetypes become deck archetypes, and and I want to kind of like illustrate that with some uh, some examples of the last few years so um like if you are looking at uh well basically from the game's inception let me start there (laughs) let's go way 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 back um casual players have always open packs and they've always made decks around like what cool synergies they find like from alpha to march of the machine it doesn't matter your your casual players are gonna open whatever they have and make cool decks with what they have and then they either get more enfranchised they learn that they can seek out cards they can go to card shops and whatnot um and in modern magic um most of what people are going to find that they're going to build around are limited themes um especially the ones that they open in packs like that so like all that like like these tendencies they're just naturally going to carry over into commander over time um Commander is the format of fun build arounds. People want to build around these fun things. So um having multiple uncommons at legendary that were like limited pointers was even if they were bad, um, they were just much more likely to see play, like like Nick was just saying. Um and when they do end up making uh legends with set specific keywords in them, um Studio X was paying more attention to and making them better. So a perfect example of this was that the first time we saw Proliferate, um, it was in uh, New Phyrexia, and it was not 
like supported really as an archetype. There were just some cool cards. Um, like you could play your Volt Charge in your like fringe red Planeswalker deck, like deal three proliferate, but like wasn't very good. You know, it was just kind of these these cards were just sitting there. But now uh, they printed legends that work really well with these things. Either they synergize with counters or they synergize with proliferate in particular, much like uh, Nick's uh, Azuri Stalker of Spheres deck. That deck specifically was built to work with uh, not just a limited theme, but a theme that they knew people would like in proliferate. Um, and it did. It worked really, really well. Um, and took all these cards that were basically relegated to like a bulk bin and made it so that somebody's favorite deck is now like this could possibly be this card and these cards. Um, so you compare that to limited archetypes over time. Um, like rogues was a, basically we got one deck because of, uh, of a uh, battle for Zendikar. We had the blue black rogues deck, but until we had that blue black rogues deck, people were like scrounging at the margins for things. And then all of a sudden it's a limited theme. And now it's a real archetype. Whereas, like st- strategies that get m- like multiple hits over the year, so like plus one, plus one counters, those decks are just stacked. Period. Because basically, every year you're guaranteed to get multiple cards that that work with that. So that was a long rant about it, but limited effects, uh, commander playability on like a scale that I don't think a lot of people realize very often. Um, and and yeah, that's that's my little rant on that. <laughs> Going back all the way to Alpha. <laughs> no worries. Um, I've got a couple of like rules of thumb that, or, or not rules of thumb, uh, a couple like suggestions, things to think about, and and ways that like limited influence commander um, that I wanted to to throw in just at the end of this episode. Um, so first one I want to talk about was. Uh, evaluate each card on its own and, and try to avoid rules of thumb. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, every limited environment is different. Um, There's a lot of cards that, you know, depend on the context of the environment. So for example, like shatter in any, uh, in most sets is terrible, but when they brought it back in the original Mirrodin, it was like, one of the hottest commons and one of the things you'd like look, look to pick up if you possibly could. Um, and there's a lot, and also there's like a lot of times where wizards will like print a, a card in a genre, uh, like, a you know, there's a lot of like archetypal designs that they keep returning to, uh, just cause like it, they need it to make limited work, whatever it's, it's bread and butter type of stuff like giant growth, whatever. Um, but it's worth like really paying attention to the differences between those cards because like, for example, um, Peller gear survivors is uh two mana for a one, three, um, or rather one and a blue for a one, three, uh, it, a human peasant it taps to add one mana of any color spend this mana only only to cast an instant or sorcery spell and you could pay five and a blue and tap it to make target player mill three cards um so this genre of design has been around for a very long time there's been so many sets where they have like a two mana blue creature 
that taps to add like a blue mana that you can only use to cast instant or sorcery spells. That's been around forever and it's always terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like LSV, you know, he drafted the hell out of um, Lord of the Rings and he brought this card up as like one of the cards that changed the most in his estimation from like when he initially saw the set from like, you know, when he stopped drafting it like 30 drafts in or something. Um, because it's just slightly different enough to actually make it really good. And, and part of it is just like the context of Lord of the Rings um, limited where like a one, three is actually pretty good at blocking ring bearers. It can like block a one power or two power ring bearer really effectively. Um, and also there's a, a just slight tweaks on the formula here. Cause like I mentioned, a lot of these types of designs just tap to add a blue mana. And so it, it's, you know, not really fixing your mana. It's just like ramping you. But in this, but with this iteration, it adds mana of any color. So, you know, you can splash big, powerful sorceries and instants from other color identities. If you can get enough Pelagir survivors like this can be your fixing. Um, and then finally, it also has the second ability of like milling three cards, which is certainly not highly powerful but there haven't really been any design and there's also been like a lot of like bad mill creatures oh, yeah. um, in printed in blue over the years. But the fact that it's like a second mode on this creature um, makes it like a potential win condition. Like the majority of the power of this card is it's a good blocker. It ramps you, it fixes your colors for certain types of spells. Uh, and then it just has this secret alternate mode of like, this could potentially be how you win the game. Um, so those minor differences uh, can really make a difference. And I think you really, when you're evaluating cards for commander, you should be um, evaluate, like look at every card by itself. Try not to use too many heuristics of like, ah, this type of card always sucks because, mm. and there's been a lot of times on the show where we bring up uh cards that are like you know this is just different enough that i think it's actually good um and and i think you should like also strive to do that as well and really think about um like where the line is in terms of a card becoming a useful thing to add to your deck or, or like also on this point um there's also another thing to consider is just like how many of an effect there are because Getting to a critical mass is uh, can change like what you are able to do in Commander. Um, like you know, once you once you have a critical mass of like all my guys are indestructible, then you can start thinking about like using them in conjunction with like your own board wipes. And it's like okay, I'll make my guys indestructible, and then I'll wipe the board, or like maybe I couldn't do a, a really hard control deck in red before now because like there's just not that many efficient board wipes there's blasphemous act and then like what else um but as like you know i'm certainly paying attention to every decent red board wipe that gets printed um because i think that like that could change what you're able to do with the color so don't just write off cards using rules of thumb because like the the context of your metagame matters like 
how it is specifically different from every like similar design matters and then how many of them exist also matters um any any thoughts on on this topic before i I move on to the next point yeah i mean i think this is this we talk about this in the broadest sense when we talk about removal and like what removal looks like so like in recently we had a lost to legend which was in the lord of the ring set so this is a white card it's white white for an instant put target non-land historic permanent uh onto its owner's library fourth from the top um and we really had like a discussion about like, is this good enough? Where do you play this? What decks want this? Because it's like just different enough that like something might want to play it. The fact that it doesn't destroy is actually like kind of unique in the scope of the game. Like, and that that's really important to look at when you're trying to evaluate these cards. Like what what is different about it? Does that change it enough um to fit somewhere? So definitely it's it's really just about uh keeping your wits about you you know like not not falling for the traps like new cards are new cards because they uh are hopefully doing something different <laughs> you know like they're not really they they say they want to print more vanilla cards but there's really not that many gray ogres anymore so uh mm-hmm. keep your mind sharp when you're reading the many many words on these new cards <laughs> um but yeah but do you want to uh, got you got one more point i think you're going to make uh yeah so another is like i think that limited is really useful as a way to challenge your first impressions just because when you're playing limited you're forced to play with way more cards in a set and a lot of you know when we are evaluating for commander like it's it's way harder to test new cards because it's like you know it's one card in 99 you could play five games and never see it but and boy, does that happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you're playing limited, like you're you're having to play like you know chaff, like real not good cards, um, and it it forces you to get that experience, which might change what you think about them. So, for example, um, like the land cyclers from Lord of the Rings. Um, I think when we saw them, I was like, oh, you know, these ones that are creatures might be kind of interesting and like decks that are already reanimating a bunch of stuff. But I certainly like didn't really think a lot of, you know, Lorien, Lothlorien revealed or whatever. Um, But then, you know, a month or so later, uh, we're seeing them find their way into modern decks. We're seeing Lothlorien revealed um, just be an important role filler in blue decks in modern and in some formats older than that. Um, And so I think that like, if you just read the card, thought nothing of it, and then just like never updated on that, then you'd be missing out on, you know, something that is potentially really powerful. And and now I'm leaning towards like, "Mm, I think you should probably, you know, I'm I'm putting the the land cyclers into more decks, the one mana land cyclers into more decks. I think if I was building a blue good stuff deck, I would look hard at Lothlorien Revealed. Um, yeah, I I think of that card as like a MDFC like land. You know, like it 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 with just, more synergies in in some regards. Like there's a uh my muscle wizard, a Gale and Raised by Giants. Like, uh, it's really good there because it's a land on the first mode, you know, it's a tap land basically. 
or mm. it can flash it back to draw three cards later on in the game. So like that's a huge synergy there. Um but that's just it happens to be the case with like a lot of decks in particular. And and true of the other ones as well. Like uh if you're doing a reanimator list, you're doing some kind of like uh uh living end or something like that. Uh the troll and the the elephant, like they're just huge beaters. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they are probably gonna do pretty well. The only one that's like kind of weird is the eagles but even that one's not crazy you know like it's a yeah i mean if we get more like storm of souls type cards it's like well yeah. mm-hmm. i'd i'd strongly consider it if we had a critical mass and mm-hmm. i was really trying to make that work yeah because it, it so the eagles of the north is a six mana three three flyer that whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control creatures you control get plus one plus zero and gain first strike until in a turn so, you know, like not bad in the least, it's just six mana. <laughs> but, you know, your deck is consistently putting like multiple tokens, like three, four, ten tokens into play on a turn. Like that's a win con. And in the early games, it was a planes. <laughs> it's a pretty good <laughs> split card. So, yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing where like you you do really have to reevaluate, like test, test the chaff. <laughs> Get in there, get your hands dirty. I think another one of these from like limited a long time ago was the um oh what were they called? It was like the idols from New Phyrexia. I remember that. Um Oh, the shri- like Shrine of Loyal Legions, all yeah, them. Shrine of Burning go. Rage. Yeah. yeah, so Shrine Shrine of Burning Rage was the best one. Um But these were it was a a cycle of uh, artifacts from New Phyrexia that had uh, at the beginning of your upkeep or whenever you cast a like whatever color spell you put a charge counter on them and then usually like an expensive activation to uh, do something so Shrine of Burning Rage as an example is a two mana artifact uh, whenever you cast a red spell or on your upkeep you put a charge counter on it and then you can pay three tap and sack it to deal damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to any target and the pre-release it was really funny watching everyone go i'm not gonna put that in my deck that looks awful like how what's gonna happen and then the first person who put a shrine of burning rage or the shrine of loyal legions is the white one makes a bunch of one ones uh and then they're just winning really hard because <laughs> it turns out getting like three to seven guys in the late game is actually pretty good or dealing five damage to chunk off the last bit of your opponent's health is pretty good. Like these cards ended up being a lot better than they looked, especially in that limited format, uh, because no one had played with them before. We had we all had to figure out because every set I feel like has gimmicky artifacts, like some kind of bad sword to equip, or uh, you know, something with charge counters. Or something that like taps creatures like two or three times. Like there, there's always like some kind of limited, uh, uh, like put a plus one plus one counter on this creature for a bad value type card in limited, and they're usually bad. But these ones are good, and you wouldn't have known if you didn't try it. Mm-hmm. I, I guess like yeah, the final message there might just be to like be willing to explore more, um, and look for i guess like play limited look for evidence that's gonna like 
disconfirm your beliefs about cards. Um, and also like consume limited content as well. I think like, cause I'm when it comes to limited, like at the beginning of the format, I can kind of like, I'll probably go like six something or seven something on arena. I'm definitely not great at it, but I've learned a lot about, um, limited and card evaluation in general, just by like looking at or, or watching content from people who are really good at limited and who are good at explaining their thoughts about it. That is one of the things that makes like the show uh, different than a lot of other commander content too, is like, I think commander is like obviously our favorite format, but both of us play multiple other formats. Like when I met Nick, Nick had a legacy deck um, that I think you've sold since, but it was Mm -hmm. uh, very cool to watch those matchups. Like legacy is just fun to watch in general. Um, like I played modern over the years. I love popper and limited. Like we're not just playing um, <laughs> commander all the time. And we're not just consuming only commander content. Like Nick has a cube. That's very fun. Um, like we'll do two headed giant with like each other or friends and things like that. Or for limited sets, like looking at the game holistically is going to help you uh, not just with like, card evaluation but deck construction and uh kind of just give you more insight into like how your deck can work so you can make stupider (laughs) things happen (laughs) um and i think that's something that we've had a leg up on for a long time um so i think with all that said um that's it i think that's the end of the episode do you do you have any last thoughts uh no, I think we can bring it to a close here. I want to give it I want to give a thank you to our Patreon patrons. Uh they are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, James, Bryce, Benjamin, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, and Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Lugan, Frubertle, Carl Oscar, Danny B, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Quincy, Carrie, Stephen, the Longs. Vincent Maceo, Dylan, Cameron, Icy Wiener, Aiden, Scott, 16Bitcoin, Alex, and Andreas. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots. All one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. Thank you.